democracy will never be defeated. Democracy is non-negotiable. Primary directive. War. Hello and welcome back to the Million Dialogue. Uh, we're finally all back from the holidays. Woo! Jesus fucking Christ. Will's already started drinking. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about books three through five of the Iliad, uh, continuing, continuing where we left off last time. Um, I think, Cleo, you want to start by talking about Helen, because um, this is the first introduction we get to the women of the Iliad. Yeah, uh, you know I love to talk about the ladies. <laughs> oh, Jesus Don't Christ. make it weird. <laughs> you, you made it weird. <laughs> I think that was Willow, actually. I'll take responsibility for making things weird. Thank you. That's really brave of you. Thank you. Anyways, now that we've all validated each other, I wanted to point us to the part where we essentially kind of come on Helen one-on-one for the first time. And we see that she's she's weaving a robe, but she's weaving all of the different struggles between the Trojans and the Argives. Trojans. Trojans and the Argives. <laughs> and sort of all of the different scenes of the war. So my question coming from that is, like, like why is she doing that? <laughs> There's this horrible thing going on, and it's happening mainly because of her. Well, you know, we're not really sure if she was abducted or if she went of her own free will. But at least in part due to her. And in response to that, she started creating art that memorializes it. I would think that a woman in that situation would want to forget what was going on outside of her. And I think I just want to understand what she's thinking about and why she has chosen to approach it in this way. Yeah, I do think that's a really interesting question. Um, Helen's like super cool, <laughs> in my opinion, as a character. Um, like, none of the, like, <laughs> goddesses excluded. None of the other women have a lot of personal autonomy in this book. Like, other than being, I don't know, just, like, trophies for men. Kind of extensions of these male characters. Um, and with Helen, we get, like, as you are saying, like, actual creation. Like, we get to see her, I don't know if emotion is the right word, but something personal. Um about this like whole situation that she's either created or has been thrown into or kind of a mixture of both that is like the opposite of an answer but just just there for some support yeah she's really curious for a lot of reasons i think one is that when she's given an epithet her epithet is um, daughter of zeus whose shield is thunder which is the same epithet that's giving to athena so you know, she's excluded from the war in the sense that she's not fighting on the front lines, but she's central to what causes the war. So there's this strange distinction between desire that causes and yet can't have a place on the battlefield. Yeah, it's just interesting to me that you can have these private matters and like matters of the heart as things that bring about ruin and destruction, but which actually have no spoken place at least in the realm of battle well i mean she so she's weaving the this or what does she have ownership of the war um i I think priam specifically calls the argives her army um does she have like some ownership over what's occurring what what kind of ownership would it be though 
in the sense that she's causal, but she has really very little say in what happens afterwards. When you say, when you ask, does she have ownership, is there a particular kind of ownership you were thinking of? I mean, I guess like it's it's sort of a, a more fundamental question of what armies fight about and what drives them to fight. But I guess, you know, in Priam's view, at least, um, she has some some sense of, I don't know, a good way to put it exactly, but agency. I don't know if agency is the right word either, but they're fighting on her behalf for her, something to that effect. I mean, are they doing that or are they fighting for Menelaus's pride? And, and it can be both. That's not a hard and fast question, but, you know, it's it's one thing to go to war saying that you're trying to get this woman back. But for all that they know, she went away with Paris because she thought he was really hot and sexy. Um. <laughs> Which he is. That sounds like Aphrodite propaganda to me. <laughs> Justice for my girls. Uh, yeah, but it seems more that it was a transgression of hospitality that is really the issue that's at stake. I mean... Is it? it? I don't. I still don't really have that impression that that's that's really true. It's you know, at least from Helen's perspective, it doesn't seem like the main complaint she really has is about customs. And it's, you know, she misses her home, she misses her friends, she misses her her family. But it's not really the customs that seem to to make her cry when she sees Menelaus. Hmm, but. You know, I was more thinking that from Menelaus's eyes, yes, somebody stole his wife, but it's less, wow, I really want that girl back and more, you know, I have this, there are sacred ways in which we treat each other when we are guests in each other's homes, and those were all violated by this act. Which, I mean, points us to something that we should see, I think, about the way that Helen figures as part of the home. You know, she doesn't really have agency in the sense that she's just a piece of Menelaus's persona. Like he's got a household and he's got this very beautiful wife who is a part of him. And in taking her away, even if it was something that she wanted to do, that is a direct attack on himself. Maybe, but I, I think that sort of maybe undersells the amount of agency that, that Helen has. Um, well, I don't know if agency is the right word. She's kind of coerced into this. By, by Aphrodite, at least. Um, but it doesn't seem like her view of the matter that we, we get is one that she's merely property of Menelaus. Maybe, again, maybe from his perspective, that's right. But it doesn't seem like from hers and the conflict that she has with Paris um, that she really sees it that way. I'm really not sure entirely how I'm supposed to see it from Helen's perspective because... You know, the influence of Aphrodite, um, the the sort of loathing she seems to have for Paris sort of complicate a lot of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. When she talks about uh, what happened to her when she went off with Paris, she, she kind of uses the same words that, you know, people who go sort of battle mad use. It's, it's you know, words of madness and words of ruin, very violent words, suggesting that there, there's something at heart the same between being overcome with lust. Lust is not quite the right word. Uh, extreme desire and being overcome with violence is the same sensation, in a sense. 
Something I think I, that, you know, Taylor Swift knows really well. <laughs> yeah, Willow, do you want a softball? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do actually, um, my, uh, my song and quote choices are from Helen to Metaleos. However... Stop laughing at me. I didn't actually know that. I just knew that Willow would come up with something. No, I'm yeah. prepared. <laughs> um, although I do, I will say that while I was um, thinking about this, I feel like it's kind of hard to like distinguish her feelings about Menelaos from those that she has with Paris. Because there's, I mean, clearly there was something wrong in their marriage. She was like, peace out, bye, go to the Trojans. But also, she clearly does not want to sleep with Paris when he beckons her. So that is, I think, the funniest exchange maybe in the whole book. <laughs> you, she gets there and he's like, hey, let's have sex. And she's like, you are such a little bitch. I can't even believe. I mean, he, she's not wrong, though. She is not wrong. And then he's like, yeah, I might be a little bitch right now, but your husband's going to be a little bitch later. So why don't you get over here, honey girl? And then she's like, mm, okay. Always works. Um, do we want to hear my quotes? James yeah, was really yeah. negative about my quotes earlier. <laughs> um, are we all familiar with um, The Great War off of the New Midnight's album? Yeah, everyone should be. <laughs> Great. Is that what the album's called? I just realized Midnight's, I don't actually yeah. know what it's called. Yeah, yeah, it's I Midnight's. promise I'm not a fake fan. I just, I don't like <laughs> Um... This is so embarrassing when I'm not, like, actually wasted. <laughs> okay, my first quote. <laughs> All that bloodshed crimson clover. Uh, sweet dream was over. My hand was the one you reached for all throughout the Great War. So, like I was saying, <laughs> I not apply to either of them. Uh, not sure what that says about my interpretation of this book, but just saying. I mean, I feel like that applies more to Helen than it does Menelaus. If I'm being well, it's it, it's Helen singing to her husband. Which one? Exactly. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, next quote. No, I think we're good with one. Okay. <laughs> I have, I have four. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I mean, I am actually genuinely interested with the whole Paris thing, though. Um, is this an indication or is this sort of like, is this whole thing supposed to give us some sort of moral justification for the Greeks that Helen is sort of an unwilling participant in, in this, this whole thing that she's clearly okay. at this Here's point, at least though. not here by choice. They all okay. did it. So the thing, though. what morals? They all did huh. it. So what morals? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> did what? what do you... <laughs> did what? I mean... Like all, like the book starts with women being stolen by the Achaeans, and like that's not a moral outcry. Yeah, but they're just little peasant women. They don't matter. I don't think you can say that. <laughs> we don't want to get canceled before our <laughs> podcast is even taken off, Cleo. I just feel like mm, morals in that sense, women don't really matter like at all in this book. Women matter when they are important status symbols. Yeah, women matter as property and, like, objects owned, but not as, like, 
It doesn't really whoa, matter if they're whoa, Well, we haven't gotten to Athena yet, okay? Athena's not a woman. I'm pretty sure Athena's a woman. Athena but- is a god. That changes the dynamic just a little bit. A lot of it. I mean, it doesn't, because she's in contrast with, um, what the fuck's her name? Aphrodite. I think there is, like, a genuine dynamic that goes on between those two. And I think it does relate to Helen to a certain extent in the way that that Aphrodite influences her to making the sort of rash sort of decisions she doesn't want to make. I think you guys might be underselling a little bit the way that women presented here. As the only man in the group, you would say that. That is so typical of you, James. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, fine. Then, then, then what difference does it make that Helen, the daughter of Zeus, might I add, is technically immortal and Athena is a goddess? Helen's immortal? Yeah, what are you talking about? No, Helen is a mortal. Oh, a mortal. <laughs> I thought you said technically immortal. Really a game changer for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what difference does it make? Yeah, what what difference does it make? Um, that Athena is allowed to like do battle and be her own person and make choices and sway Zeus, whereas Helen, Helen just kind of does what she's told. Does she? I mean, when when Paris comes back and he's saved from the battlefield, she's very explicitly not going to have sex with him. She's infuriated. But because, then she does. Because Aphrodite makes her. Um, Aphrodite just says that she's going to be really upset. Well, if I mean, does. if a goddess threatened me, I'd probably be fucking scared, too. Um, Aphrodite threatened Athena, and yet Athena went and did what the fuck she wanted. That's the difference. <laughs> One thing that I think that you are onto, James, is the fact that there is a parallel going on between Athena and Helen, um, both being daughters of Zeus. And especially because the scene where Paris gets whisked away from the battle and dropped in the bedroom is very warlike. (laughs) And I think it might be pointing to the fact that, you know, just because the forms that power takes in men versus in women are different, you know, doesn't mean that there is an absence of power. It means that it presents differently to a point. But you know what, when, when we talk about power for women in this book, it's mainly, <laughs> it, it's still predicated on the men to be like, Oh, what terrible beauty, what awful responsibility, but she's just getting whisked away. And, you know, maybe choosing to go on a little lover's vacation. But it's more that men see her and go, oh, she has an impact, and less that she gets to have an impact. So the idea of Helen having power is purely that men assign that to her? Yeah, because, you know, she's just existing. You know, she's out there, and she's really pretty. And (laughs) men start wars about it. It's not like she was like, come and fight this war to bring me back home. In fact, she seems quite upset about everyone who is fighting in the war to bring her back home. I agree that, you know, I agree that it is also a form of power. But in this case, she doesn't get to use it. Are we supposed to... I mean, I guess I was going to ask. Are we supposed to think that that's 
how it ought to be. I mean, I guess reading this section with Helen, I don't get the impression that we're supposed to look at, you know, Aphrodite sort of forcing her into her marital role as being a positive reflection of Aphrodite. No, I don't think it's a positive reflection either. <laughs> I think it's pretty gnarly, actually. Um, and I mean, I, I'm not, you know, trying to like read some modern interpretation into it. I mean, we we get a very negative portrayal of Aphrodite, you know. Athena sort of openly mocks her and Zeus laughs there. She's not really respected. Um, so it, it seems to me that we're more supposed to pity Helen and the fact that her choices have been taken from her from outside powers. But it, I, I guess it seems to me that that does provide some level of moral justification for the Greeks doing what they're doing. Although, again, as you pointed out, everybody steals women. That's nothing all that special but you know her status as you know does does provide i think some level of moral justification that the greeks are killing on behalf of somebody who is being held and used against their will yeah i mean i will say like i know i was arguing against you but (laughs) if you take away i don't know textual justification for it just the feeling you get while reading this book is definitely pity of Helen and sort of hopeful that she'll get home at some point. Um, Although, I I don't know, later on when the book kind of switches perspective, then you feel oppositely, I feel like, and you're rooting for the Trojans. Um, But in terms of like context, I don't, yeah, I don't know how much justification it really is and how much of it is just like, pulling on your emotions to make you feel that way to root for somebody i mean i guess what other reason would we really have the root for the greeks here i mean there really isn't that many other justifications they have besides you know the individuals striving for their heroic accomplishments or you know agamemnon just really wanting loot you know there there's there's really other very few ethical cases to be made on their behalf, as opposed to the Trojans, as opposed to, yeah, you know, people who are fighting to preserve their homes. Right, yeah. I do think maybe we are understating a little bit the importance of the insult to hospitality, because, you know, I don't remember my Greek culture lessons very well, but that's like a big <laughs> thing. They had words for it. And, you know, Menelaus himself says, right, now I'm going to read a quote because I'm going to be that guy. Give me the line, please. <laughs> Shut up. It is line 410 in book three. Oh my god, I was already there. Wow, we're so in sync. <laughs> Anyways, you know, he's... Um, they're about to duel. He's angry. He's saying, So even among the men to come, a man may shrink from wounding the host who showers him with kindness. So I think that is a sizable portion of it. That, you know, that's a direct attack on the kind of rights of having guests <laughs> which was a very big deal back in the day i mean, I mean i'm not I'm saying, saying it wasn't a big deal, deal. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's a, a very, very large, large motivating, motivating force, force for, for menelaus who um, depending on, on the role that the gods played in helen's decision is is rightfully justified or not but you know i think agamemnon's slightly more explicit in what his actual motivations are which he says in the pledge right before this that if the trojans don't hand over um all their wealth uh he will stay here until the end of the war 
Um, it, so yeah, I, I agree with you that it's it's certainly an aspect for male A's. I just don't get the sense that what's driving an entire armed force to the walls of Troy can really easily be explained by a lover's quarrel. I was just going to ask, did anybody else know that Menelaus and Agamemnon were brothers? Because I just found that out today while rereading this. And I wanted to talk about it. Uh, I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. But but go off. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> and I just want to... I don't know. I don't really have a question. I would like to discuss it if anybody wants to respond to my ranting. You'd like to discuss that they're related? The way... well i would like to discuss how odd it is that they're brothers like the way well the way the book opens is not about menelaos the way the book opens is about achilles and agamemnon having a weird macho spat in the middle of their war camp and then it's about the same goddamn thing that they're fighting this whole fucking war about riddle me that (laughs) Can, can you go into that a little bit more? Well, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting that the book opens with a spat about who gets to keep what woman based off of whose pride and ego is worth more uh, because of whatever status they hold in this war that's been going on. And Agamemnon wins. You know, at the expense of losing one of his greatest fighters, he's, you know, willing to forsake that in order for his own ego not to be bruised at all. And then Menelaus, who's his brother, who just wants his wife back, like, isn't, I don't know, he's not as uh, materialistic about this war as we've seen Agamemnon to be, or at least we haven't seen him to be. I don't know that he isn't. Um. But, like, the the leader of this army is Agamemnon, obviously. Um, and he seems to be ruling with much different intentions than are really necessary for what's going on. Or maybe not necessary. That's a weird word to use. There's just, like, a stark contrast between them. Um, and then even when this whole Paris disappears, Menelaus can't find him, can't kill him, Agamemnon, like, is the one to rally the troops and, like, be super upset on Menelaus's behalf that Paris just disappeared and like demands Helen and all of her possessions from the Trojans. And Menelaus is just like silent throughout all of that. And I don't know if it's like, I don't know, maybe he needs Agamemnon to speak up for him, but it just seemed odd to me. There was a lot of strange crossings over of themes and not a lot of explanation behind it. Hmm. So, anyone got anything to say about that? <laughs> I mean, I. Oh, go ahead. We probably oh, could have ahead. avoided like this whole book if we just didn't think that women were property. That's that's my take on the matter. Yeah. I think you're wrong. Me? You think I'm wrong? No, I think Cleo's wrong. Um, no, I I think Menelaus functionally just serves as an excuse for Agamemnon. Um, it's it's worthwhile for him um for menelaus to to use to to get out of his brother you know his armies and his his power but menelaus as far as we know doesn't really have 
that significant of a of a power base for himself. You know, he he is reliant upon his brother. And Agamemnon, again, he's very specific about this. It, the The way this duel works is that if Paris kills Menelaus, Paris just keeps gets to keep Helen and everybody goes home. But if Menelaus kills Paris, Helen goes back to Menelaus. And then the Trojans have to pay them a bunch of money. So he's really not, it doesn't strike me, he's particularly all that concerned about his brother's feud with Paris. It's totally irrelevant. He's looking for a way to profit out of this. Um, so it doesn't strike me that, you know, the root causes of this war and why they're going to war would really fundamentally change if, like, societal attitudes towards women changed. You know, it would just be a different proximate cause. And not to say there aren't, you know, sort of interesting parallels between the two and that both sides are guilty of committing essentially the same um same acts but yeah i don't i don't disagree and the whole duel is kind of perplexing to me because it doesn't make sense to me that agamemnon would be so willing to give up his glory simply for profit you know there's the aspect of yes i gain in wealth from this war but there's also the maybe more important or at least more referenced aspect of I gain glory and I gain reputation. And, you know, if Paris and Menelaus fight and Menelaus wins, what kind of glory does Agamemnon get from that? How is that a boon to his reputation other than the fact that, you know, he went to war, but then a, a proxy, a little proxy duel was fought and his brother won. And I think that applies as well to the the whole armies who are immediately willing to just be like, okay, never mind. I think the reasons that we came here, which in part were for to win glory, let us just have this little duel and that will be satisfactory. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very legitimate question to ask if, if we get a sense from someone like Agamemnon that they actually would have abided by the terms of this agreement. And in my stance is no. I mean, I, I think... Look at the way he reacts when Menelaus is shot with an arrow. He starts screaming about how his brother's dying, even though like a little bit of blood's coming out of his leg. I mean, he's immediately looking for a reason that he can he can start restart you know hostilities. I, I don't I don't think you know he strikes me as somebody that is, um, but we don't know. I mean, you know, we don't have the the, the counter case. Is it just that? You know, does he agree to the duel because that's a way of keeping the pretense that it is just about this sort of moral quest to bring Helen back? It occurs to me that, you know, one reason that he would give up his pursuit of glory and agree to this is because if you if you really go any other way about it, you really look like the asshole in that situation. And you're right, he does. <laughs> oh, my brother is dying. It's like a little bit of blood. Yeah, it's it's extremely melodramatic. Um, quick mythology question that I think I know the answer to, but I just kind of want to ask before I start saying it as fact. They are they're all fighting because of like previous lore that previous lore. Yeah, previous Greek lore. (laughs) 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 The shared Homeric universe. Right. That Helen, Helen had like, uh, like a bunch of suitors, right? 
and so there was like worry that whoever would marry her would just get instantly murdered so yeah other people could marry her and odysseus was the one who was like no 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 guys like let's make a pact whoever she marries like we ride or die for yeah and they were like hell yeah bro okay that's fact yeah doesn't uh, it seem odd then they would just be like mm, yeah it's chilling like why don't you go out there on your own against some man well i don't think he's gonna lose too even priam's like <laughs> my bitch boy son <laughs> yeah i guess that is true none of them thought that paris had a chance in hell of winning also, I mean, as the myth goes, they all also tried to avoid going to this war. I think they all yeah. agreed to that pact, thinking Fast they wouldn't facts. have to do it. Odysseus is the only one who's like, let's fucking go. No, no. They have to throw Odysseus's kid in front of his plow. No way. Are you serious? Oh my yeah. God, what? Who am I? What lore do I even think I know? Yeah, the, I think the, the story of it is that when Agamemnon comes around to, to gather the whole squad, um, Agamemnon... Per- no, uh, Odysseus pretends to be a plowman um, and doesn't like understand what's going on. So they take his kid and throw him in front of the in front of the plow, and he stops. And that's how they realize it's him. It's just a squirrely little guy. Uh, I love Odysseus. What a guy! Okay, so talking about Odysseus um, is a good chance for me to pivot to Athena, who I think is is probably the most interesting part of of this section. Um, okay, feminist. Uh, she is the she is the prototypical uh, girl boss. So, gas. <laughs> you know what they and, say: gaslight no. gatekeep, girl boss. We got the nice. interest in the girl boss. <laughs> Should that be the title of our episode? I think it may be. I'll I'll think about it. Um, fuck. What was I gonna say? God damn it. <laughs> not the right girl boss of you james shut it's not very oh. gaslight gatekeeper fuck me. god damn it all right <laughs> yeah i guess it, it strikes me that, that she's the most um she has the most agency of of the rest of the gods um in comparison to aries apollo uh, aphrodite i mean aries makes this this exact point when he's sort of bitching and moaning to zeus that all of us, you know, you keep chained up and tied up, but her, uh, she gets to do whatever she wants. Um, and I, I think it's specifically interesting that she's contrasted so heavily with Ares um, and with Aphrodite. Since she sort of represents an ideal of heroism and war that's separate from the sort of slaughter that Ares represents. And it seems like she she dropped... She represents a feminine ideal that's separate from the one that Aphrodite represents, the, the one that Aphrodite's mocked for. But Athena seems to, to hold as being compatible with war in some way. She's very warlike, but she she's able to get away with this. Does that sound sort of right to you guys? Yeah, bitch. Sorry. I love Athena. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to call you a bitch. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Go Go off. This is your moment. I just love Athena so much because it's just very nice. I mean, we love women in literature, like a role model for sure, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just a little refreshing in this, you know, what is it? 600? How many goddamn pages is this? A lot of pages. Yeah. 
novel about all these goddamn men doing their freaking war activities. And then you get Athena, who's, like, better than all of them, having, like, real strategy, a real plan. She's calculated. You know what I mean? But she's also not a sociopath. (laughs) You know, fuck Ares, who's, like, this dumb, blind rage kind of guy. Uh-uh. She fucks him up. Let's go. I love Athena. (laughs) That's all. Sorry. What were you I w- saying? I want you to know I'm entirely with you. <laughs> okay. Let's go feminism. <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't really get the hype. All right. Fuck you. Cleo, get out. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to talk to Willow for this. <laughs> I just, you know, you know, Willow has said she's not a sociopath. Sure. She's calculated. She's reasoning. But. What sets her apart from the other gods and all their petty little feuds? Why is she not as petty as Aphrodite and Ares? And what, what? I'm sorry, what did you just say? Ares? Oh, come on. Is he the, is he the cousin <laughs> Guys, of fucking Arby's? Don't, don't go for the fucking low-hanging fruit. Take me up on my point, you cowards. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You limp-wristed fools. Please, please, I'm sorry. Please continue. (laughs) I'm done. That was it. No, 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 no. (laughs) Bro, when she takes... When she takes Diomedes... Diomedes? How do you say it? (laughs) Diomedes? Diomedes? How do you say it? Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I wasn't that far off. Get a grip, guys. <laughs> um. Anyway, when she takes Diomedes, nope. And you pops, said it wrong again. Diomedes. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Diomedes. Karma. It's karma for me. Diomedes. Whatever. Whatever. Um. I just think it was cool that she jumped in his chariot and bricked around and had him get Ares, you know, right when she needed to. Don't you think that's cool? Honestly, you're very much allowed to think things are cool, unlike Cleo, who has absolutely no taste. Yeah, that bitch don't even think Athena is a boss bitch and the girl boss of our generation. Yeah, I know she agrees with us on this one. Um, Clearly, why wouldn't she? All right, um... So rather than just arguing about Athena for the next 10 minutes, um, ha, ha, ha. I think it's it's probably decent to leave it off here. Um, for the next one, uh, we're going to be covering books 6 through 9. 69. Yeah. Get it? Like the yeah, sex- I, no, I okay. get it. It's the sex thing. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure you got it. No. A- a- anything else? Um, look out for our new Twitter page. It'll be up sometime between now and, you know, within the month. Yeah, within the month. I won't be the one managing it. I want that explicitly clear. No, it'll be me. um, The one that has a social media presence with my name on it. (laughs) My name is on it. Uh, My first and last and middle name will be on it. All right. Thank you guys for listening uh, to this episode. Uh, Love y'all. The 500, 400. Yeah, Let's something. Go. Our- <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Goodbye. <laughs>